वेलकम टू सिन टॉक The Sin Talkers are on the table today. Discuss the just almost games. We'll think about games and what lies at its edges. Do games, sports, work, art, and illusion lie on a spectrum? Is an individual game an individual path on a game tree? Do players find a purpose and establish rules to become games? Can games collapse and die, and how? Can rigidity of rules kill games? What is not a game? Are there non-zero-sum games? Are all games winnable? Why not? what does not look like a game but might actually be a game would a martian visiting earth be able to easily distinguish work from play can reality be overtaken by games and what is the very long term future of games playfulness and sports we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today Professor Supriya Chaudhary she does humanities research and has a special interest in literature and sports she is from Jadavpur University in Calcutta Dr Sujata Ghosh she is interested in logic and games she is from ISI Chennai and Dhruv Jani is the co-founder of Studio Oliomingus a game studio So, Supriya, why don't you set the ball rolling with you? Um, maybe by making a distinction or two between, let's say, play and a game. Do you do you see them as uh, as play, for example, being a somewhat less rigorous, less serious, less structured form of a game? What is it? What is play for you, and where do all of these things lie? Well, I think I'd like to uh, start by trying to distinguish between play, game, and maybe sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, play for me is a universal instinct of all animals, not just humans. Uh, I think that uh, some philosophers have tried to argue that human beings are distinguished by their capacity for play. Uh, Schiller said that, but. in my view every animal also can play you can see a cat playing you can see dogs playing so i do think that play is a universal instinct of the living world of creatures uh, and it is for me joyful anarchic unstructured it expresses a kind of free freedom a uh, freedom to experience and play with as we say the playfulness of life it's something added on to the normal functions of is it is it is it primarily a mode of expression or um it is a mode of expression but it has an active form that is to say there is an activity involved right uh but it's of course an expressive mode now to me a game is more structured 
it seems to me that a game has rules uh, and therefore has an internal structure. Many games involve winning and losing, not perhaps all games, but many games do involve uh, winning and losing. Therefore, a kind of competitive structure is built into many games. And games are in some ways also uh, educational. That is to say, you learn through games. You may learn through playing too, but you do. I do think that you learn through games. Whereas, and, and, and this winnability aspect, yes. Supriya, do you think it's forced on a game, it's forced on play, or, or is it a natural extension of, uh, obviously it's cultural, we create it. Yes. I mean, when, when cats and dogs play, exactly. presumably they, maybe they experience winning, but mm. it's not done in the same way. Well, I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, the instinct to win is also something that is imported into uh, playing as much as uh, gaming. Um, uh, for example, you know, you might run and then you might want to run faster right. than the other person. So running might be a natural expression of freedom and enjoyment, pleasure. But then uh, suddenly it becomes a game in the sense that I'm saying I'm running faster than yeah, you. It's a race. It becomes a race. Racing. Yes. Yeah. But a race is a game. To me, a race is not just play. A race is a game. Mm. And therefore, it has a kind of internal structure. There is a kind of measurement that is going into it. The structure, the rule-bound structure of the game involves a kind of calculation, a sort of measurement. Whereas sport now, sport, I think, uh, is, um, to me, it is something uh, an invention of the modern world, though there is there was sport in the ancient world as well. And it seems to me a large-scale activity uh, which combines aspects of playing and gaming, but um, involves also the element of spectatorship, right. large uh, public investments of money, a kind of democratization of leisure, you know, so that everybody has the leisure to follow sport. Somehow it's very, very difficult yes. to think of sport and not think of spectators. It's exactly. kind, of, It's kind of done for... Precisely. It's, it's a performance of sorts. Yes, yes. Interesting. Is there... Uh, do do you make any distinctions, Sujata, between, between play and games and, you know, when game theorists and logicians like you deal with things? Presumably it's with rules, but is there anything in the territory of play itself? Uh, can that be modeled? Yeah, um... In a way, more formally, I would say, the way we look at games and plays in a theoretical sense would be the game gives you the rules and mm -hmm. their structure and all the other parts of the phenomena. Whereas a play is actually the playing part of it. The way you say the race is a game and whereas running is a play. In that sense, the play part of it is, while, let's say, if we think of games as kind of um, actions, giving one actions after another, so and all moves, possible moves actions. And turns, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you can say it as moves and turns. But, and then the, a play could be thought of a single sequence of moves and turns that happen in that game. Yes. In that yes. sense, I would say this would be in my way, a more formal description or a more formal distinction between a play and a game. But do yes. turns always follow one after another or they can be... They, 
like in general games we see that like in chess or in whatever sport that we see of the we we see that one move one player moves and then the other player moves and in that sense the game goes on but they can be simultaneous whereas, games whereas right? uh, in game theories as to say which where we talk about modeling conflicting situations mm-hmm. and things like that the games that crop up as a models for modeling com- conflicting situations are there are many examples of simultaneous games for example the prisoner's dilemma game or the battle of sexes where, game where all the moves are made simultaneously where all the moves are made yes. simultaneously or are said to be made simultaneously yes. um, they don't follow one another they don't follow one another they are actually being done simultaneously that's how the goal game setup is made In what is a sense. game what is a game let's 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 kind of get that out of the way as far as you concern what is what is a game and what is not a game okay um so for me the game would consider there are certain entities which are involved in a game mm-hmm. like there are the players mm-hmm. there are the moves of the players mm-hmm. which are actions of the players mm-hmm. and certain kind of outcome of the game which uh, which are can be modeled as payoffs of the players as well whether it's a win loss game or maybe payoffs can be something else so all these entities together they form a game accordingly in my way could i come in uh, briefly here uh, i'd like to say that you know just to take the biggest sporting event that is going on right now uh, the world cup in football football is a game where everything is going on simultaneously right. it's not one after the other except that people are chasing the ball it's more fluid it's more it's fluid, fluid. Yeah. Uh, but i think that while there are rules and obviously you enjoy the game more because you know the rules and you want the outcome to be decided according to the rules uh, there is an element of playfulness which sujata i think very correctly pointed out that the element of playfulness is what makes the game worth playing uh, so you know the exceptional ball skills uh, the exceptional move made by uh, an outstanding player that is what brings joy to the spectators brings joy also to the experience of playing so yes because it's within the game you have to observe the rules but that particular set of actions that sequence of actions might be regarded as play and you know whenever you use words like exceptional or mastery yes. and things of that sort one is obviously talking about skill yes and there is which is where one gets into execution where maybe you respect of strategy and we'll get to this whole notion of strategy so when you design games though is there do you, do you think of the skill business at all because obviously there's a way in which you know games maybe more about strategy and less about skill of execution where you huh. want to do something but you're unable to right yeah so uh, so there are there are games like sports which are extremely driven by skill yeah you need skill to be able to engage in the game you need uh, skill to be able to comprehend the abilities of other players while you're playing the game uh, and then there are other kinds of skills which you learn uh, almost as a language while you're playing things like video games you know uh, that jumping on the head of an enemy is going to kill it you know that that is not something that the right. uh, that logic is going to teach you outside the framework of the game that is something you sort of learn across a history of having played similar games before 
So and and, and in in this case, you learn by playing. It doesn't come to you in exactly. written forms. Yeah. And, and, and you cannot even learn it by playing the same game that you sit down to play. You have to have a history of having played similar games before. Uh, like first-person control set, you know, which is WASD on your keyboard. Uh, becoming comfortable using that to move your character in three-dimensional space in the computer is, um, is, is a, is a is skill. A skill. Of sorts. Exactly. The yeah. skill of sorts. Yeah. What is, so what is game for you? Um, so to, to be able to define games, I would like to define play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and play, is, uh, play is an activity that you're engaged in while you're trying to push at the boundaries of the material that you're playing with, uh, where the rules of engaging with the material are derived from the material itself, you know, say playing with water, for example, or playing with a rubber ball. Uh, and, and the activity is not performed for profit or for gain or, that or for purpose. That linked from the... From, yeah, from, from reality, as from such, reality. Or, or consequence in reality, rather. Right. And, and games are where uh, the engagement is exactly the same, except the rules are arbitrary. They are not uh, established from within the material of the object that you're playing with. So if I'm playing with a ball, my rule has to do with boundary and space and capturing location in that boundary, you know, which gives you sort of football. Or, it has nothing to do with the properties of the ball. Yeah, or very little to do with the properties right, of the ball. Correct. Or all the rules do not derive mm-hmm. them directly from the properties of the ball. At some level, there are, because if you're playing cricket, then the boundary line cannot be five kilometers away yeah. because nobody would be able to it's humanly hit it and so on. True. But, yeah. but uh but the fact that there is a boundary line in the first place, you know, uh, which is limited by the performance of the ball and the batsman and the bat, is still an arbitrary construct. You know, that uh, why have a boundary or why measure the arc of ball movement within three-dimensional space covered by a boundary is a rule established not by playing with the ball, uh, but by playing with balls, players, bats, and several other unpredictable components of a game. So while they're arbitrary, they cannot be arbitrarily enforced. Now there are rules that get adopted and uh, encoded fairly easily into games and sports, and there are rules that don't. No. Yeah. Uh, so they they still they, even though they are arbitrary to the to the objects that are involved in the game, they cannot be irrational. Mm. Uh, they still have to function within an established structure of the game and the abilities of the players, the skills. Again, you know, skills will limit what rules can be applied to games, and and other physical limitations besides, you know, that you cannot uh, shoot a ball beyond a certain height or, as you said, beyond a certain distance. So that can, can this be thought of, Sujata, this whole aspect of rules? And you know, is, is there a way of making this more rigorous to say how, how arbitrary can rules be? Or rather, can, can, you, can you make any game? What kind of games cannot be made? How does one think about boundaries and constraints? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so coming back to what Dhruv was uh, pointing out re- regarding rationality and irrational moves and all those things, I would like to say here that when you ask this question, what is a game? It's It also, of course, we are from different areas, so we see games differently. In a way, games between, till now, we have been talking about more as a physical of the games and physical nature, it can also be, as I started with, modeling certain situations. Right. And there, when we talk about modeling situations, the actors of the games or the players of the games could only be people or agents or whatever who have, who are conscious about their effects on each other. Right. If there is no effect, then that wouldn't constitute 
a game so then for you the actors for you interactions have primacy yes. it is interactions and this awareness effect, of the other effect on each other that is one of the main components of the so, game so there is an players. element of information there's an in, right yeah, information comes in in general uh, earlier we were discussing about this simultaneous move games and act action turn based games when you talk about simultaneous move games there actually there is no information play in between because you already have certain information beforehand you are playing irrespective of what your opponent or the others are playing whereas in turn based moves once your opponent has played you have a lot of information to process there there is this other it depends on how the opponents has played what type of opponents you are facing all this kind of um, factors come into the being of uh, considering inside the game so in that way information plays a big role in this kind of turn based games is the is the other involved as you as you design games um obviously it can be a toy or a sandbox thing of sorts where mm. you essentially interact with the object or the material yeah. like you mentioned how do you incorporate the others I and mean, you can have multiplayer games right yeah you can have multiple uh, as sujatha pointed out uh, it is very accurate that an exchange of information is what determines the extent of the spread of your rules uh, if you are able to exchange say game state values with other players and they are able to affect your play then uh, then by default you have entered multiplayer territory uh, if all you can affect is the objects around you then you are still playing with the allowance of the objects uh, you know as a, as a toy for that matter or uh, as ai does in video games you know you're not playing with other players but there is a certain amount of animation of characters around you who have individual agency and who can do individual things which affect your ability to continue playing the game in a particular way do you uh, agree with this supriya um well i this? do i mm. i do agree uh, i think that i'm also interested in the way in which the game functions as an analogical space that's to say um in many cases we find that actions that if uh, carried out in real life mm-hmm. would uh, result in uh, violence and harm to others or uh, you know would be um uh, would be would end in destruction so it's a simulation of uh, it's a simulation a game uh, in some respects not always but very often is a simulation of uh, a, of situations that in real life in actual um you know if carried to the limit of um of performance might uh, end in destruction or violence but supriya it, it it depends on the way you end up making the game right there's nothing natural about it no, one has kind no. of made it so you could so, you could create a game yes. with precisely the opposite implications of the real world right you know what i mean Where... no but that's what i'm saying hmm. but that that in fact within the game space normally uh, you are uh, trying to uh, get rid of these destructive aspects so that you're playing a game in which dhruv's games people die but they don't actually die you're not actually killing anybody you are playing a game you are simulating these uh, actions and uh, therefore in a sense you are working out uh, a kind of or working in a mimetic space uh, which in a sense because i'm a literature person right. uh, literature also works 
uh, with mimesis. It works with uh, an analogical field oh. in which um, uh, language mimics the properties of reality, oh. but the consequences are not grave as they would be had we actually carried out those actions, murdered people or, uh, you know, set off bombs or taken a machine gun into a building and killed people. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, in Throve's games, I'm sure these actions are simulated. So, too, in a novel, you might find that these actions are described. The game space also seems to me removed from reality. While I am playing the game, I feel myself to have a kind of autonomous time space where um, real consequences do not ensue. Do you, do, you, do you think of games as being a literary genre? Well, I think there is a uh, you know that uh, clearly there are ways in which they're similar, but there are ways in which they're different. Yes, well, there is a uh, there is a similarity between literature and games. I would not say that games are a literary genre. I would say that uh, literature and games are all forms of uh, cultural simulation. You know, they are spaces in which uh, human beings, and in some cases animals too, perhaps, uh, can play with reality. And uh, uh, and and uh, produce a kind of make-believe world in which um, actions can be carried out without real-life consequences. So when you when you work on narrative games mm -hmm. or you think of them, well, what is it? What kind of a beast is a narrative game? Uh, but we like to um, think of it as theater, if you will, uh, because it happens in real time, and and all narratives within a game are then uh, retrospectively understood can enact a game, you cannot narrate a game. Uh, mm -hmm. You can narrate a game if you are very quick at trying is, to comprehend what is happening in the game. And what is the difference between enactment and narration? Uh, of course, one has a... Yeah, and enactment would happen in real time. So uh, you are engaged in the activity of creating the game events as, as you play them. Uh, whereas narration would require a certain amount of distance from the activities, even if you are narrating it in first person. You know, it is the difference between uh, saying that uh, I jumped off a cliff and actually jumping off a cliff and then being able to articulate the fact that you jumped off a cliff. Is know? narration just a second person version of the first person enactment? So if I watch you play a game, yeah. is, uh, am I narrating it in my head? You would be in a better position to narrate the game than I would be. You know, because I'm responding to well, the actual action of playing the game. But uh, the question of person uh, becomes very complex when, when you look right. at games. Right, right, right. And... and yeah. Uh, yeah. So let me digress a bit at this point, uh, because some uh, just I remembered something that Supriya has mentioned. There is another aspect of games too, where when we see that the animals also play, it's mm -hmm. very apparent that the animals play, little children play. And recent studies have showed that the animals who play and who play more, spends more time in playing, they actually have a much more better brain growth or postnatal brain growth. So these kind of studies, so there, so there is a learning aspect of the games as well and in that sense it's also this aspect where uh, the children come in and when where we 
kind of uh, argue that whether like more academic we should have a more academic setup into children's education or we should have a more play like setup right. in the children's education so this kind of a learning aspect of games that also defines certain games in uh, into moving towards for the upliftment or the better growth of uh, the mankind in general is there uh, is there a way of thinking about learning in in in, in the sense of constraints of what cannot be learned via games because certainly there are a set of things that it's unlikely that you can figure out some theories of math, you know equations of math via game right you have to the way you arrive at knowledge of the physical space around you or you know some physicality trajectories and there is, impact um, and force those kind of things can be enacted which is where this notion that drew yeah. brought in is interesting but presumably it may be a little too far fetched to say that everything can be understood you know playful i don't yeah. know i think we better uh, um, use the word playful in a very metaphorical sense <laughs> but uh as uh, supriya said uh games insulate a portion of the world and then allow you to perform within and right. and then sort of prod at its boundaries uh, right uh, and and uh, and sometimes it is narrative you know uh, that you can do this is 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 told to you through a story or a narrative within the game and sometimes it is systemic like a rubik's cube for example or chess you know it, it gives you area movement boundaries or tiling geometries that you can solve in real time uh, but the act of solving them has very little to do with uh, solving the way you would solve them on paper you know where you learning it formally uh, or mathematically using equations hypothetically then you can you if you could find the corner of the universe that you can trap inside a set of rules then you would be able to play with it and ergo you'll be able to you know uh, learn anything to through play except the process of uh, capturing uh, ideas and rules is is incredibly difficult uh, and and we continue working with very few rules it's very interesting because the way you would solve a rubik's cube problem mathematically would be different from the way you solve it on the rubik's cube yeah. no actually that is that is interesting how difficult are these problems mathematically because obviously combinatorially well, some of these games very are very complex large. it's very very complex combinatorially but to when you were talk, when you were talking about mathematical equations let me give you a very small example Please. of that uh, we as mathematicians when we teach let's say the concept of continuity mm-hmm. of a function Mm-hmm. which is the done by this epsilon delta definition that also can be thought of as a game whenever the one of the persons is producing the epsilon neighborhood of the uh, function point the other person has to come up with some kind of a delta neighborhood of the point so this epsilon choosing of epsilon corresponding to choosing of delta it can be considered as a turn based yeah. game and this actually happens and uh-huh. this is th- this kind of proofs lots of mathematical proofs can be thought of as games as well yes i'd like to uh, say that you know this is something of great concern to us uh, who teach literature because literature can be thought of as a kind of game we've just said that there is an analogy between literature what literature does by way of simulation and what games do by way of simulation in both cases as uh, you just mentioned there's a sort of insulation from the actual world you're you're closed off in your little space and you're working out these possibilities 
probabilities or probabilities and you're working out a sort of logic. Uh, you're making choices and see how they work out. Um, but the question of how um, this is related to real life, um, what type of learning goes on in these games. Now, yes, you can learn many things. You can learn many things through literature. You can also learn many things through playing logic games. You can test the rules of economic transactions by doing zero-sum games and so on. You can do all kinds of things. Uh, most people will say that Ultimately, when you are in that situation yourself, you lose the, you lose a beloved person, uh, you are in an accident, you're in a car crash. Uh, yes, you may have studied through simulation what happens in a car crash, but the actual experience of being in a car crash is not something that can be simulated in the studio in the in the game space. Is that a matter of intensity? It's so not, if, if, no, if it's one not has experienced, uh, if if one has read fictional works for 20 yes. years and then you experience real life loss no does it not, does it make it a little it bit it's not in, it's not a matter of intensity i think that that is a real problem it's a different entity it's a different entity you uh, mentioned right at the start if a martian came to earth could he distinguish between games and work uh, it's not just games and work games and work is a very important problem because a lot of you know now uh, with the development of games and sport and so on games are work for truth, mm -hmm. games are work. He is working at building games. Yeah, yeah, I hope so, you enjoy doing it, Dhruv. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, but, uh, but the thing is that I do think that while, yes, traditionally human beings have taught children through games, children are encouraged to play different kinds of games, education itself might be thought of as a game with an exam at the end of it, you know? Yeah. You'd go through these books, take an exam, that is a, uh, you do well or you do badly. Level one, level, level two. Level one, level <laughs> yes. two, and there you are. And so, in a sense, you're preparing the child for the experience of life. But uh, to say that that is the same, of the same quality, of the same nature... I have some doubt about it. Do, do these things, so what's the relationship between work and play? And I mean, are they, do they lie on a spectrum? Work and play lie on a spectrum, I think. Work, play, games, but, sports. Uh, but the experiences, the the qualia of life, I'm not sure so that they are the a, same. Uh, there's a dis distinction between, I suppose, what you can... Uh, put into a rule-based uh, system that can eventually be reduced to its parts and the experience of, uh, say, a traumatic incident, which cannot be reduced into components and reassembled into something else. Play can, uh, games can, at least. You know, games as systems uh, are, are built out of components. Anything that you can simulate using a series of components, you will be able to replicate from, from the real world. So this qualia thing, when... Let's say when one is working versus yes. when one is playing, and you know, let's use these in a somewhat laymanish way. Yes. So, if a Martian were to turn up, like you mentioned a while ago, yes. is there a way to say from the outside, or or these tests are phenomenological? It, it is, and because we have this intersubjective reality, we kind of know what games are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so Jata might be able to look at a dot and say that yeah, she's playing, she's having fun. Yes. Is, is, uh, yes, so well, obviously it's a difficult I question. It's a difficult question. I think that one would have to teach the Martian what the distinction is 
the Martian would not know instinctively. Mm. There is no obvious difference. Uh, it may be that after a while, um, uh, by becoming uh, acclimatized to our culture, to you know, becoming culturally assimilated, that Martian, she or he, would come to understand the distinction that human beings make between play and work. And that can be only uh, via these reward circuits, right? Yes. By experiencing yeah. wins and losses, yes. by Nature knowing... of reward. Yeah. And by analyzing if there is a real-world consequence to those actions, you know, yes. two people performing the same actions with one resulting in massive uh, shift to, you know, their, 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 their station in, in, in life uh, would be classified as work, whereas the other would be classified as play eventually to look at results, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so what I was saying is when yes. you are saying that Martians need to be taught, yes. what you, I think what you mean is that it is not obvious from the outside right. what is a game and what is work. What is work. Yeah, yes. just, just via, you know, visual examination or yes. via just analysis of data of what people do and just time and motion study you can't say whether yeah i don't so know it's there is nothing black and white about it it's kind of a the diff, it's kind of a vague or a gray area regarding uh, the difference is there a, is there a way to say that there are x types of games are they types of games are they kinds of games are they games obviously they're games that are very distinct from each other I think yeah. Supriya brought up football. Football feels very different from chess. Uh, yes. it, it, yeah. And it is probably very different from chess. Yeah. Or, or isn't you, it? Since you mentioned football, let me come back. It's all, but The way I would see it is it all depends on your perspective. How you uh, like see that game. In what perspective do you see the football game or any other game per There se. must be non-perspectival differences, no? Uh, no, between. but if you see um, a football game, if you think of the players as all the players and if you think of moving the ball from one to another as a move then once again you can actually think of that and model that as a game kind of a game tree it might be huge combinatorially huge but still of course the fluidity gets lost but what I'm saying is you can think of modeling in that sense as well. So it's it all depends on how you see that game and what aspects of it you would like to model or you would like to So that is up to you, Sujata. So let's say that's up to you. So if you had to classify games, what are there other no, certain so types one, of games? One way of looking at games that generally the game theorists do is kind of the the way we were talking about simultaneous move games and the turn-based games, which are generally represented as different forms, which we call strategic form games and extensive form games. And another way to look at this specifically into this turn-based games or the extensive form games comes from the perspective of information. What kind of information do the players have? Suppose, like the game of chess, where Whatever your opponent's moves are, you actually see the board. Yes. Yeah. So you're aware of all the moves. Yes. All the previous moves at the history of the game. Yes. At each node, each player is aware of the history of the game. History yes. is perfect information. Obviously, so the in future that is sense, unknown. Uh, yeah. These games are called perfect information games. When you are not aware of the full history of the game, there can be moves which you have not seen. Like, for example... Uh, there is a German game called Kriegspiel, 
which is a version there is a chess version of this war mm-hmm. game which is so was developed game, yes. by by the uh, germans where there are two persons who one is the white player the other is the black player they move on their own boards they don't see each other's moves they only move on their own boards they move they move both the both the colors no one is the white player who moves the white uh, pieces the other is the black player who moves the black pieces and there's a referee who records the games and at some point say that this piece has been captured or this is an illegal move from that those kind of uh, announcements from, you have to deduce what move has been made you have to deduce what you can make but is that is that is that a imperfect information the, game exactly imperfect that is because you could have been killed by either games. this pawn or that yes. that yes. horse exactly, exactly. but then uh, we do have something called incomplete information games as well what are those games those games where there are moves by nature for example uh, if you consider you mean chance yeah moves by uh, nature which are chance moves basically these are random moves by the nature like if you consider any kind of yes. a market game where there is an entrant and the incumbent companies and they can entrant can stay out or enter the market then accordingly enter and the incumbent can fight or can collude but then the both the entrants and incumbent or one of them may not be aware whether the economy is in recession or not yeah so that's there is an environment or, and that or, does play a role or, or the the natural product uh, is uh, scarce suddenly you experience a dearth of the natural product which is being transacted when the environment the has has the a, environment has a role the environment casts a shadow yeah. on the game yeah. irrespective but, of the moves uh, but there's something else i'd like to bring to that question of perspective uh, because sujatha is very correct in saying that it's a question of you know how you view it in the modern game when you look at people playing games you might say that yes these people are p- playing a game but they are also workers because in fact in modern sport as we know very well these players are very highly paid they are owned that by is, clubs they are owned by clubs <laughs> this is what they do for a profession or a living this is how they uh, are uh, earning a livelihood therefore this is their work so look looked at from the aspect of their earning a livelihood they are simply doing a job of work every day they go out on the football field and play a game so it, so if a martian were to turn that, up yes, to explain that to a martian would involve explaining to the martian that yes they are playing a game but they are also workers working and meanwhile you might say while th- that very same player let's say kapil dev when he has leisure time he is playing golf yeah. right for playing <laughs> golf he is not paid he's not paid to play golf therefore at that time you might say he is playing for his own pleasure there too there are rules so it's not just play yeah. he is playing a game uh, which has a but the win loss matrix is different but yeah. the question of why he is playing uh, he's not paid to play the uh, game of golf but he is played paid or was paid uh, to play the game of cricket so uh the question here is a question of how you view it so would the martian be able to distinguish um, amateur football from professional football just by looking at the game no 
there is no way of distinguishing if amateur he, from professional. Uh, if he sticks around long enough to see uh, the real world consequence of players yes. playing professional football, Obviously you know, yes. being paid for it. Do uh, you think of chance? Do you think of randomness when designing games? Is there a way of? Obviously, there's a way of incorporating it in a. Um, yeah, in, so, in a, in uh, a trivial sense. So there are there are kinds of chance that you work with, yeah, and and it depends on the system that mediates chance. You know, for example, if you are if you're building a, a deck building game, you know, uh, where you progressively increase the number of cards that you hold in your hand, and whatever cards you have selected are the ones you're going to pull from. But there is no way to control what precise card you're going to pull from. Then you're trying to corral chance together in a in a particular kind of deck you know uh, whereas a dice rolling game would be absolute chance you know it'll be only limited by the number of faces on the dice and be uh, so so there are there are models within games which try and control chance as she as she mentioned uh, german game designers are very good at that uh, at combining extremely strict logic games with perfect information sorry and uh, and Combining them with games that are only chance-driven, so that you end up with something in between. They are actually called German-style games or Euro games now. You know, board games which are half and half, and they're particularly enjoyable to play because you can play through a large section of the game without a lot of strategy, and then and then focus on strategy when the variables are revealed. You know, once chance gets limited uh, while playing the game. But there is a way in which, if there are multi-person games, multiplayer games. And in a way, chance is introduced by the very fact that there is this other person on the other side because, yeah. as Sujata might tell us, not all of us are fully rational or are able to compute vast swaths of data. Now, But e- even if you take a game like, uh, especially if you take a game with, uh, with perfect information like chess, uh, your ability to make uh, mistakes will regulate how much uh, how, how much variation there is going to be in the game. You could make uh, errors which are within the rule sets, which are allowed by the movement of the pieces. You know, I could still move upon here. You know, it's a legal move, but it's not a logical move because it, you know, uh, leads me to a so defeat. defeat. Yeah. defeat yes. But I could also take my pawn and chuck it at your queen and uh, and then cease playing. And topple it, but, yeah. that's, exactly. but that's not game. No, that's no, also yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, uh, so, so, the amount of errors that a game is going to allow you to perform legally will determine how variable your play is going to be with the other person that you're playing, especially if you have multiple actors in the involved in the game. How do you model errors? How do you model errors by... Do, do, do you think of stuff like that? Um, so, the best way to model errors, I would say, is to do it kind of... the some kind of a probabilistic flavor. G- give it the game some kind of a pl- probabilistic favor but at this point logic i would say or the formal modeling is not that advanced to model mistakes hmm. that's a certain point that we would like to go to but formal modeling per se is not able to model mistakes in i think one of the points that drew made possible. is very interesting because you know at at any point in time let's say in a chess game when you start off there are many moves that you can make and as you progress and you 20 moves into it and so on the number of moves that you can make keep converging yeah um you know what i mean yes. there is a little bit unlike football where assuming yes. no man has been sent off or no woman yes. has been sent off the 
the the phase pace or the number of states that can yes. be taken remains very very exactly. high right but in games like these which are turn based to progression like games you kind of converge yes. Con- kind of the yes. number of possible moves get lessened yes. and lessened and lessened lesson. lesson. yes. as you as you do simple pieces. as you yeah. and as then, you progress uh, yes. you are into a path and, and when there's only one move remaining is checkmate or something yes. like that right something <laughs> like that right. yeah exactly but there's this question of you know you just mentioned being sent off and i'd like to think about that and thruf said that you know if you chuck your pawn at uh, the other <laughs> player or topple the board now uh, you know there are two ways of uh, uh, of uh, interrupting the game either by uh, actually disrupting it you know just breaking it up leaving it saying i won't play any invading longer. the field invading the field yeah. you could have a pitch invasion or you could cheat in such a way that you get sent off therefore reducing the number of players on your own side and therefore uh, you know doing something that is uh, wrong by the rules of the game now these rules of the game these are really very interesting because in all games there is a proportion of cheating because since people want to win they will always try to find a way through the rules whereby they are able to yeah. win again this right. is that interesting so, class of permitted moves exactly. but maybe permitted, et- non-ethical but, yeah, not ethical so football is full of this and uh, this you know does have in some senses real life consequences you get sent off you might lose your place in the team right. you might lose therefore your livelihood i think particularly of that very celebrated instance in um the france italy game where zinedine zidane had mm, had uh, this um, materazzi the italian right. player and he got sent off and his the sending off of zidane was obviously the end to france's chances not only only in that game but in the world cup so it was in a moment when yes it's a, uh, it was a moment when in a sense reality interrupted because something disturbed zidane's concentration on the game alone something affected him as a human being as a person who is not just a player and he felt that he was so angry that he wanted to make uh, you know he wanted to do harm to his opponent and at that moment then the illusion of the game and this word illusion is very in- interesting because we use it in literature too because it, everybody it does suspend from, disbelief a little yes, bit no so it's illudere in the game yeah. in playing yeah. so this illusion is suddenly broken and yes you feel great sorrow and regret that at that moment zidane uh, got sent off but then there are other feelings that also intervene you feel that he's also something of a heroic and lonely figure yeah. you feel that you remember the game forever because zidane got sent off and so there are these other aspects to the whole activity of playing whereby you might say that your uh, normal life gives solidity and substance to the activity of playing it's not really totally cut off yeah the game is not completely cut off from what we actually are so af- after that i remember in the press there was a lot of talk about how zidane is of algerian extraction and how he was brought up and uh, you know the materazzi so deeper had, and deeper uh, consequences had insulted his sister you know yeah. that he had uttered an insult that he could not bear so there are these um ways in which the game moves outward into the our real lives and has real world consequences and the the perceptions of heroism and so on are very real 
Exactly. Or Maradona, the hand of God goal, you know, where he scored it with his hand. And that's cheating, right? Is cheating a legit thing? Of course, it's not. But is that something that you can model? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, this is what I was thinking of, that from the theoretical point of view, one could actually design mechanisms or games where, which we call strategy-proof mechanisms, mm-hmm. where there is the way it, it is so designed that there won't be any incentive to cheat. Mm-hmm. In that sense, you could remove cheating, lying. Why would there be? Games. Because so, you, you, one cheats so, to win. So are the are these? No, so there could be. I'm talking about designing a mechanism. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about designing a game or a mechanism where there won't be any incentive to cheat. How do you do that? So there are formal ways of uh, doing Just it. Just by having very high incentives to stay in or... or uh, like defining the payoffs and other stuffs in a certain way and certain giving certain rules. Play in, like when you do a mechanism design, it's all about what are should be the or a game design what should be the rules of the game and by having probability things. of a very high and, payoff and, and yeah and then you d- design the rules in such a way that players would not have any incentive to cheat in the game in that way the theorist could get a handle of this cheating aspect can all games be won mm, uh, when do, do, like it when depends you depends on where can all win games be a winless game is that uh, yeah in a way so okay, let's put it this way can all win lose zero sum games be one of course it's kind of a part of the definition but can you can you look at a game formally and say that this has winning strategy from here yeah but so let me give you a more mathematical answer sure. to it so uh, in set theory mm-hmm. what we do is many uh, so there is an axiom called the axiom of choice which says that given any collection of sets you can construct a set picking out a member from each set of that collection each of the sets of the collection picking out one member from each of the set of that collection sure so then you can think of and may almost the whole of mathematics and or mathematicians basically uh, base their mathematics and proof theorems based on this axiom of choice mm-hmm. what i'm calling axiom of choice but there is an axiom called the axiom of determinacy mm-hmm. which says that every two player games are determined this Meaning, is this is armelo's idea you're referring to that one or something else no no something else so here what i'm talking about consider a game where each player tell gives a natural number each player uh, the move is giving a natural number mm-hmm. so one player gives a says a natural number the other player continues with another natural number and so on and so forth so what you get is a sequence of natural numbers sure okay the whole set of sequence of natural numbers basically gives you the real numbers right and any let's call a, a let's take a to be a subset of that set of sequences of natural numbers sure. so a game is defined a game a is defined like player 1 wins that game if the sequence is a member of that set a uh-huh. take any subset so a sequence can either be in that set or can be in its complement correct so let's player 1 wins if uh, the the play or the sequence is in the set a 
So there is this axiom of determinacy in set theory, which says that all gay, all sets of all such games are determined. Okay, uh. which means to say that at least one of the players has a winning strategy in this game. Okay, now the why am I talking about all these things is you when you think of non-determined is, is, games is determinacy the same as winning? No, right? Determinacy it says at least one of the players has a winning strategy. Right, which could include a draw. Could include a draw. At right. least one of the players has a winning strategy. That's what uh, determinacy of a game means. When you talk about non-determined games, you in mathematics you can prove set theory that there exists a non-determined game, but that goes into an ultra-filter construction, which actually uses the axiom of choice. Oh. So when you talk about the axiom of determinacy, what it says that all games are determined. Correct. So it contradicts axiom of choice. of choice because there could be indefinite choice. Yeah, there so could be which, endless choice. Which means that many many uh, consequences of the axiom of choice won't be valid anymore mm. if you consider the axiom of determinacy. Yes. Even though mathematicians do consider axiom of choice as a part and parcel of their daily theorem proving life. But there are set theorists, many descriptive set theorists who actually work on this action of determinacy as well and its consequences. So is it fair to say, therefore, that if the number of moves, and let's just think of two-person games, if the number of moves that are permitted on your side and my side are finite, then it will converge into either a win. So that's what Zomelo's theorem talks hmm. about. The game I just talked about, basically you can think of that at any point, there is a infinite branching right. of the game tree. At any point, there is a countably many right. moves and it will continue. Yes. It's right. an infinite game. Yes. Right. What is what I'm talking about. Right. What Zermelo's theorem in of 1913, which Zermelo proved, is talks about games of finite, two-player games of finite depth. They are all determined. So, so the number of moves that you can make and I can make is finite. Are finite. finite. And in then they would sense, converge. They have yeah. the ability to converge or they and will converge in a win or a loss for somebody. Yeah, and so, since it's it's a zero-sum game, yes. it has to be a win-loss game when you are talking about this theorem. Right. Which means that since it's a finite depth and fine number of moves are finite, we could see the end of the games. Right. And each such end will give you an outcome, win for the player one or win for the player two. Or a draw. Or, or a, a draw. draw. You right. can uh, think about the win uh, and draw together and then you can do it without going into the draw in a different way, in a but particular way. But the draw way. is not inevitable, surely. I've, I've been trying to think of what you're saying in chess. In chess, players do draw, but that is by agreement. I don't think that they have to no, draw. There are no, but there positions. are mathematical draws. Yeah, there, there are, are positions. Draws. You might end yeah, up positions. positions. Draws, yes. These are positions of the games, yes. like out, kind you of can, outcomes. You can force of, a draw. Yes. Yeah. You can force yeah. a draw. Yeah. So, so, is it a draw ultimately always an agreement? I'm just trying to think. No, when, when, when there's an agreement, these are yes. certain positions yes. in the games. Okay, okay. But obviously, right. the player needs to concede that yes, yes. it is a draw. Yes, yeah. I exactly. Mean, so you, to, you need you the yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to concede. There is the uh, two players have to agree. Yes. And in those, uh, in such games, then you move backward. Yeah. Yes. From the mm -hmm. end, from and the then end. you actually construct that yeah. winning. You can get to the winning strategy yes. of that player. Yeah. Right. Is but do you think of win loss? 
Uh, not not so much. Uh, <laughs> part, part, partly because uh, win loss games uh, tend to be uh, tend to have very rigid rule structures, and yes. you and you sort of play them as part of board games. And and when designing board games, you certainly think of win conditions and loss conditions. But more often than not, you think of uh, interaction as a standalone feature, which carries you through a particular narrative in the game, or carries you through a particular section in the game. And mm-hmm. as long as you reach some sort of a conclusion that is well that would be some kind of a win state what uh, do you mean by conclusion then uh, if you have navigated a story or a, or a terrain for example if you're simply walking from one part of the terrain terrain to the other it might not be a puzzle solving environment or anything just a, just a simple action of walking uh, or flying uh, or jumping across uh, across the terrain while you are talking to a few people that you meet along the road that would be that would be both interactive but not fundamentally winnable. I mean, you could simply stop playing at some point and that would not be an invalid game. So it would be more like a narrative. Exactly. More like reading. It's like activity. Uh, so uh, lit- literary, you know, like you enjoy reading a book, not because you want to find out what happened, but because you enjoy the, uh, the, the activity yeah, of reading. Yeah. Why do you read and the book also, even when you know the plot? Yeah. Uh, yes, things exactly. of that sort, yes. right? And so also the... The, the details of the engagement themselves. You know, t- take SimCity, for example, as a, as a simulation game. Yes. You do not have to build every city into a metropolis. You can stop at any point, and, and most players stop at yes. random points. Uh, but uh, those are not qualified as win or loss conditions either, either way. You know, even if you end up with a metropolis, there is always something more you can do uh, as far as the computing power of yes. your system allows. Or the What's interesting allows. is that this pleasure-pain business is not just in the conclusion or at these endpoints, exactly. but even in the, in the act of enactment, even yeah. the very act of playing, which is presumably what this is. Yes. So, uh, can I, will I say it correctly if I say there is no, no actual solution in that game? Or would you say that reaching that or finding something would be a solution. Um, well, because, it would because be the a, risk, the risk throw, which I think probably yeah. uh, Sujata is putting a finger on, is that it could be too open-ended, right? It could be, yeah, it could be almost devoid of any conflict or high points and things of that sort, which is also another kind of emotion. You could experience <laughs> boredom in a very, yeah. in a very fertile kind of way, yeah. maybe. Yes. Or, or take uh, Minecraft, for example, as a game, yes. right? Uh, Minecraft can be thoroughly boring uh, in certain <laughs> scenarios yes. and thoroughly exciting in certain other scenarios right. without the game having fundamentally altered. What I would say is that even though there is no discernible endpoint as uh, as set by the developer or, or by the game engine itself or the yes. rules of the game, uh, there are these there are so many variable endpoints that you can, that you could sort of conclude your journey into the game on that mm-hmm. uh, it yields a different experience what for people. What then what 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 does one develop? Who's a skillful player in these sorts of games? Because you know you could say that everybody has uh, uh, their own experiences, and that's fine. So unless unless games give you tangible feedback for your for how skilled you are, you know, if if they either reward you for being skilled, uh, you're not going to be able to figure out if you are Maybe relatively you are skilled more skilled than other players or not. And at yeah. some point in many first-person exploration games, like Minecraft, where you're playing in first-person, there is no... There's no know, way to say that this is the best player in the world exactly, at exactly, this point no, in time. Exactly. No. Whereas if you look at competitive games where I have a kill count you know, for shooting people, that counter gives me feedback which tells me that I'm 
you know, empirically the the most skilled player most because skilled I've killed player, the most yes. number of people in the shortest amount of time or, or some calculus like that. Yeah. But without that feedback, and a lot of games don't have that feedback at all, uh, there is there is no way to discern skill. And, 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 you know, obviously you are a little bit of a geek on this thing, but by and large for a lay person, these somewhat narrative experience-based games, are they fun or... Um, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. You know where yeah. I'm coming from. Uh, so, um, so these games tend to work backwards for a large number of people. They they start playing with gameplay itself, uh, but cannot persist in playing gameplay without narrative. There what do you no, mean by gameplay? Uh, the mechanics of engaging with the game. Right. Uh, the moment-to-moment -moment activities that you perform uh, as part of a game. Uh, so if you take a, a sh simple shooting game without context, uh, context of realism in, in terms of graphics and context of narrative, and then you're name you know, as a character and why you are shooting at somebody without all that context right. it becomes significantly a, 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 exactly a lesser experience yeah. But with that context uh, comes, you know, once you start adding that so context... So if you feel a certain sense of conflict, you really feel it. I mean, you, it, mm. it's... Yeah. Uh, and, and once you add that context to it, then you end up uh, elaborating on that con uh, and on that context itself. The context informs what gameplay you can add to the game. So what are the boundaries of a game like this then? Uh, they they are often limited only only by the technical limitations of what you can put into the game. Into the they they become massive. If you if you take No Man's Sky as an example, it's a procedurally generated game with a few billion planets that you can visit. The game is so large. A few billion planets. A few billion planets. Just a few billion. <laughs> yeah, just a, uh, the a game is matter. <laughs> <laughs> the game is so large that the developers had to. Uh, invent uh, drones, program drones, which would go around and check consistencies of planets because they could not manually visit yes. every inch of the game. Right. Uh, so, oh, <laughs> well, even while designing. Yeah, even so while designing. Actually, uh, you know, what is saying suggests, I didn't know really about all these video games, but it does suggest that the element of narrative here and the satisfaction of having a narrative uh, element is very close to literature. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, with literature too, uh, there are obviously different kinds of literary texts that we read. We might read a detective thriller right. where there is mu much more of a game element of trying to find out who is the murderer or, you know, doing the detective um, process and so on. Yeah, or, the, the reader is a little bit of a player. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the reader is a bit of a player. But yeah. in many other kinds of uh, modernist literary text, let's say Kafka or, or, or Sartre <laughs> or something, uh, it is just the pleasure of reading and the situation is very open-ended. The novel doesn't seem to conclude in any particular way and yet there is some... Uh, extraordinary pleasure or satisfaction in just going, you know, proceeding with the writer on a kind of journey uh, in Kafka's The Castle or The Trial or, or, or some such work. And now, and, and you know, in fact, The Castle or The Trial are very much like mm -hmm. video games. They, they are, are really, cool. really like video games. One can imagine a video game based on, on The Castle. Uh, but I was uh, also thinking of um, staking a lot on the game the opposite of this where here apparently nothing seems nothing to be that's directly staked yeah. on the game yep. uh, the opposite would be uh, what Jeremy Bentham called deep play mm. uh, where so much is staked on the game and that, that is gambling 
game as game playing gambling you can bet you, the real world bet, on the game yes, you can mm. bet your, your real entire, self yes yeah. your entire fortune your inheritance yudhishthir in the mahabharata right. uh, game of dice uh, betting his brothers his wife his kingdom his fortune on the game so there is there are real world consequences to what you are doing you are so deep in play that you lose sight of what the consequence is for you these are asymmetric in, payoffs no there's only so much you can gain but you can lose everything yes you can lose everything and uh, you know this sort of deep play is also a way in which um Uh, literature has tried to represent the world for example uh, you know if you take uh, satyajit ray's film or premchand's right. uh, short story shatranj ke khilari you find these two engrossed in mm. their play while meanwhile wajid ali shah is losing um, uh, you know the kingdom of avad or uh, i'm sure there are people of that sort uh, dhruv knows in <laughs> yes. the real world today who... yes exactly or you know in kavabata's <laughs> the master of go where uh, kawabata actually does use the game to write a kind of uh, tragic account of the death of older japanese culture right. you know a culture of honor a culture of pride uh, and while the description is that of a game being played uh, what is involved in it what is staked on it seems to be something far more there is a way in which uh a game can become so much of a game that that doesn't remain play anymore yes yeah. and uh, so what's the future what's the future of where this is all headed um 500 years out yeah so one way i would look at it is uh, yeah in some sense game might cease to be a play anymore that sense but there is a positive way of thinking into this as well mm-hmm. because nowadays there are whole host of serious games that are being developed serious games yeah mm-hmm. by which i mean is game we already had game for the purpose of learning for the purpose of edutainment let's say but then where the game, mechanisms are game like where game play as dro yeah. pointed out but but then these games are used these days in therapy health studies these are more serious uh, kind of uh, helpful issues and as well as in certain kind of advertisement kind of uh, modeling and trying to not only children trying to educate adults as well in certain kind of moves and strategies for example negotiation mm. so the people including myself Uh, we are in engrossed in a project right now where we are trying to start from empirical studies to see what kind of negotiation actually people would find beneficial and make seeing that and analyzing those uh, empirical studies what we would like to do is actually come up with a negotiation game which we could put up to the people playing which they could become better so, so, negotiators so they serve the purpose of simulation in a way yeah in a in a way but yeah in some sense you want to be build a negotiation game app sure where people would try to play this game and see how they fare 
as a negotiator. So this kind of serious, so this is what is known as kind of serious game endeavor. So the way I would see is where 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 the outcome where the outcome that you want is in the real world as opposed to. in the game itself in the make, yeah, where, in where the, the skills kind of way. yeah where the skills that you developed are in the game but for so i think feedback what, out there uh, but the kind of games that you are talking about sound very uh, similar to certain games that uh, well authors or, ga- or game designers like ian bogo start building where they again they call them serious games uh, to try and prove a political point or to yes. try and prove a literary point uh, where they use games as discourse and you mean prove prove proof proof mm-hmm. exactly uh, where they use games as discourse and sometimes it is metaphorical and and very very simple like um, like drone bombing there's a it's a very popular serious game built by uh, I forget who built it, uh, but it's a flash game, so you can play Tough it on your. Tough luck for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you can play it on your yes. browser, uh, and it starts out with a bunch of caves where there are, you know, Arabs uh, sort of so, walking around, and you can uh, shoot bombs at them using a drone. But there is not a, not very unlike how drone bombing actually exactly. happens. Exactly, yeah. and and there are one or two terrorists, you know, shown by black clothes hopping around, but the likelihood of hitting a terrorist is very very low. So you right. hit a civilian, and they all turn into terrorists right. you know, every time yes. a civilian yeah, dies. Sure. Yes, uh, that's a great point. That's a great. So, point to be made yes so using the mechanic of the game uh, because sometimes these things cannot be understood in the abstract you yeah. actually have to enact it in exactly yes. what's the future though what's the future of where this is all going you seem to be most ahead of all of us <laughs> yes. future of games future of um, future future of I games i know it's too open ended a question yeah it is and it is bewildering as well because uh, games are becoming increasingly more adept at simulating real spaces or real appearing spaces at least catering to certain mm-hmm. senses and uh, and 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 the ability to engage with them is becoming more and more minute whereas game mechanics have not historically changed that's know, a great what, point yeah. Yeah. What so, so they're able to simulate the environment with great degree of accuracy exactly. but the gameplay yes. is still somewhat archaic exactly yes. and uh, and and what you realize having you know if if you study games at all is game mechanics are what uh, what you want to play with to be able to push and pull at right. the at the edges so of so give us an example what would such a game mechanics be which 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 is which doesn't exist but could be made and what are the constraints really these are technical constraints or these are or i think these are philosophical constraints more than anything else to to be able to think of how you interact in space itself mm. uh, let's say sh- uh, shooting games which are widely derided uh, were a breakthrough for video games mm. uh, because for the very first time you could reach out into space at velocities that were not physically possible yes. and then you could start doing things with it with it which were just incredible so if you look at a game like portal by valve software where you shoot portals and then you walk through them and walking through the portal conserves your momentum uh, so you can start to solve very complex spatial puzzles and reach into space like never before that could never have been done without a gun in a in a video game and perhaps gun was a bizarre iconography to use at that point but it has stuck around and it has allowed an additional interaction with space what is interesting about these games is that they not only help you simulate the physical environment but they can also allow you to transcend it no yeah. when go at speeds which are faster mm-hmm. go farther or do, exactly. do, do yeah. uh, you know live in dimensions that you can't live in otherwise which yeah. is so interesting we land with you supriya what's the future where are we headed um, well i have uh, i think thruv is completely right in saying it's very bewildering because i find myself really torn on this question i find it 
extremely uh, interesting and exciting that so much thought, so much um, research is going into games, the theory of games, the philosophy behind games, what they can do, what they can achieve, and trying to work with game architecture, which is what you are doing through. I find all of that truly exciting. And the uh, on the other hand, I find uh, quite depressing the fact that there is this um, general commercialization of leisure and mediatization of um, of viewing or of uh, involvement, uh, so that this tendency to turn more, all play into games. Not that so much as uh, huge spectator spect. Uh, you know, occasions, huge spectacles being created through the investment of large sums of money and, you know, the amount of money that is in, uh, invested in in, sports. in spectator sport is just extraordinary. It's obscene given the fact and that And it's a real so deep hunger. problem because deep leisure problem. is a real deep surplus. Exactly. Which, which is There's that surplus which is being exploited mm. in a certain way and in a sense human beings are or many people in the uh, in more affluent uh, sectors of the world are being uh, distracted in as never before with the possibility of uh, the spectacle and of game playing in a commercialized, mediatized way. Uh, at the same time, if one were to reflect on what the game teaches you, if you were to think about the philosophical consequences of choice and decision-making, uh, these are really serious questions and they have real-world applications which are of great importance. Yeah. So uh, I don't think the game is going to go away. I don't think that the game... But there would be meaningful games. But they are meaningful. Yeah. If so long as they are meaningful, they are uh, very, very important. The question really is how we um, how we free that element of play and that extremely interesting logical core of the game from this um, this large scale uh, appropriation yeah. by big money mm. and uh, you know leisure production entertainment without ads <laughs> thank you that's a good note to end this on thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank you thank take you. care thank you thank you, thank you. Thank you.